Hello, friends. Welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. I wanted to start off with a quote. This is a quote uh, from the Buddha, from the Anguttara, I always pronounce this wrong, Anguttara Nikaya. I can never get that. This is a quote about the nature of suffering in relationship to the first noble truth. And this is what the Buddha says. There are some cases in which a person overcome with pain, their mind exhausted, grieves, mourns, laments, beats their breast, and becomes bewildered. Or one overcome with pain, their mind exhausted, comes to search outside, quote, who knows a way or two to stop this pain? I tell you, monks, that stress results either in bewilderment or in search. I tell you, monks, that stress results either in bewilderment or in search. I really like that quote because it captures the challenge of the first noble truth. It captures the challenge of the first noble truth. It is difficult to turn towards suffering for so many reasons, but the most obvious ones are that suffering is uncomfortable. Stress and dukkha and dissatisfaction are not something we're designed to lean into. We're not designed to accept it. We're designed to push it away. We're designed to not only push away dukkha, stress, discontent, suffering, but we're also programmed, if you will, to reach out for the shiny things. We are designed to reach out for sensual pleasures. So it's a twofold problem. One, reaching out for sensual pleasures is really fun and getting away from suffering is also really good. So it's very difficult when the Buddha has this first noble truth that says we're supposed to comprehend suffering first and foremost by contemplating it, by acknowledging how extensive it is in the human experience. And superficially, we certainly can do that. But as a spiritual practice, to continue to come back to this first noble truth and really comprehend it without feeling bewildered, right? In order, it, comprehending it and using that comprehension to inspire us to practice versus getting lost or overwhelmed or being driven back to escapism or driven back to like sensual experiences, that's a very tough balance. And that's really what happens with the first noble truth. The first noble truth is a call to action. It's a call to acknowledge the inherent suffering in the human experience, all of the suffering that we experience as human beings and take it in and to really touch down on it and open our hearts and be vulnerable to its enormity without being bewildered, right? Do it just enough to feel that empathy and the desire to get out of suffering for ourselves and for all beings. So it's a tough, it's a tough request for the human heart to be asked to dwell in suffering, to use suffering as a pathway to freedom is really counterintuitive 
and very challenging. And the Buddha understood this. The Buddha understood that this was challenging, but it's still the call to action that he presents with the first noble truth, which says, with life comes suffering, just the fact of human experience. I think it can help us to willingly engage in this first noble truth, this action of intending to comprehend it, if we sort of acknowledge the shadow side or the hang-ups we might have when someone asks us to accept suffering as a inherent part of the human experience. And so there's a few things that we need to remind ourselves when we're asked to engage in the first noble truth. And the first couple things is this, Accepting suffering as a part of human experience is not a request to condone it or to continue it in its, in its happening, right? So accepting it is accepting the fact of it. It's not accepting it and saying, oh, you know, suffering, it's what human existence is all about, and then walking away and then continuing on with sensual experiences. So we're not tolerating it. We're not condoning it. We're not encouraging it. We're just accepting it at its deepest level, accepting that the whole human experience is filled with a ton of pain and really feeling that and really being with that. So sometimes we, we're afraid of the first noble truth because we feel like it's consent. And the shadow side of it is that. On occasion, you'll hear someone say something like, in response to someone's suffering, they're like, well, you know, first noble truth, it's just the nature that's not what it's designed for. It's not designed to make us cold and callous. It's designed to evoke empathy and inspiration to heal ourselves so we can show up in the world as beings that can help others be healed and be well also. So it's an, it's an act of compassion. So I want to put that out there because I know it can, can easily seem like it's an invitation to ambivalence or something like that. And that's really not what the invitation is. It's really asking us to learn from suffering. It's really asking us to go against the stream of our biological and psychological and social conditioning and look at suffering as a doorway to freedom. And it's asking us to do three things that are the exact opposite of being cold and callous. So these are, I think these are really important ways of looking at this. The Buddha asks us to anticipate suffering. To understand that it's such a part of human experience that you can expect it on the horizon no matter what is going well in your life. Anticipate that there's going to be suffering. And in response to that anticipation, we prepare by practicing and we do what we can to prevent it for ourselves and others. We engage in skillful action to prevent the suffering from happening. But it begins with the acknowledgement that it's on the way because it's an inherent part of the human experience. So it's a very interesting counterintuitive way of going about uh, wanting to be free. But once we get into it, we can see that being present with suffering allows us to comprehend it, and that comprehension can lead to its release, to its cessation. So that's the invitation. I'll give you a couple other examples that helped me be a little more at ease with this idea of accepting suffering. So again, it's not consent and condoning and ambivalence. It's something else. One of the easiest examples I use for myself to remember this is, so living in Portland, where it rains all the time, if you're going to stay in Portland, 
with all the rain, you have to accept that the Pacific Northwest is a very wet part of the country in the United States. It's moist all the time. <laughs> you know, we get rain in the summer, we get rain in the fall, we get rain across the seasons. Now we get, you know, summer and winter are their own distinct times. But if you walk outside and it's raining in Portland, Oregon, and you say to yourself, how can this be? You haven't been here very long, right? Because you have to accept that it's rainy here right? So if you think about that, think about that acceptance, right? You accept that it's going to rain, you know it's coming, right? And when it comes, you accept it and you might actually prevent it or protect yourself from it by wearing gear, right? Or only going out at a certain time. Now, just because you've accepted the fact of it doesn't mean you still want to get soaking wet when you leave the house. You still protect yourself or try and prevent it in some way. So, that's what we're talking about, but with suffering, right? We're talking about like reducing the shock and awe of the intensity of suffering that plagues the human experience. And by reducing that shock and awe, we are more situated in a position to transcend the suffering, to heal ourselves and to reach out to heal others. So it's that kind of acceptance. Another way um, I've experienced this is when you're, when you walk outside and you get hit by a very strong wind that's really cold, like a really strong piercing cold wind, and you feel your body contract, that instinctive contraction of like, ah, God, this is annoying. That kind of, it's pushing you one way and you're trying to move the other and the cold's coming through your clothing and there's that sharp contraction of the skin and the muscles and the emotional contraction, which is like, Oh, this, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Acceptance is the opposite of that. If you were to relax into the wind and actually physically lean forward and accept the not only pressure, but the discomfort of the cold, that's the kind of acceptance that we're talking about. It's actively leaning in to that which is disquieting or something that is uncomfortable, something that is essentially a form of discontent. So that's what we're talking about with acceptance. It's not a form of denial, and I really want to emphasize that. You're not pretending that it doesn't suck. <laughs> You're acknowledging that it sucks a lot as a human being, and that we have to welcome the fact of that experience in order to truly get beyond it. So I hope that helps. It's helped me a lot, just that understanding of acceptance. It's not tolerating and condoning, it's protecting oneself and anticipating and preparing for the event. So with that in mind, with that idea of the First Noble Truth, I just wanted to share some insights I had about the First Noble Truth in reflecting on 2020 and some of the things that happened to us universally around the globe with the pandemic, um, but also with some climate change stuff that was up here on the West Coast of California and Oregon and Washington, the fires. I think what struck me in 2020 is that it was a unique opportunity to see large-scale suffering come one after another. You know, we had political stuff for several years, and then the pandemic, and then fires, and then more political stuff. And it was, for me, there was a naivete that left during 2020 when I really got to see a time in my life where there was large-scale dukkha that wasn't just about even my local area or community, and it just kept coming. It just it just was one thing after another seemed to destabilize and become impermanent. 
and my preferences kept getting thwarted. And I never had experienced that really with that intensity and shared that experience with so many people simultaneously. So there was really this sense of like, oh, with life comes suffering. Like there's a large amount of suffering that hits human beings and it can be enormous and continuous. And it's something that's to be expected. It's something that's to be expected. And I think this was hugely helpful for me. I I really feel like coming out of 2020, I'm much more mature in a certain spiritual way uh, around suffering and the nature of suffering. When the fires came, I'll use the fires as the first example here. When the fires came, I remember walking outside with a mask and there was this, I don't even know how to explain it, this deep inner reptilian brain sense of like, oh my gosh, the atmosphere is dangerous. Like my environment is dangerous. And there was a fear that I had never felt before as like an organism, which was, oh my gosh, my environment is unsafe. Like this is toxic. And that was a brand new experience of suffering for me. I didn't, it was very unique, but it it connected me to other humans in the realization that our environment is unstable and can be dangerous. Our ecosystem is very delicate. And if it doesn't have the right amount of oxygen or has too much smoke in it and so on, wow, this can be incredibly dangerous. And I never had experienced that before. I never experienced the atmosphere or the environment to be such an immediate danger. And it sparked that primal fear in me of like wanting to escape, wanting to run away, and really wanting to to self-protect. And there was a fear there. There was a fear there that I hadn't felt before. I want to read you this quote from this magazine article that I was reading. uh, I think it was in The Atlantic. It's just the opening paragraph. It's on climate change. Um, But this really struck me. This is by, let's see, Peter Brennan. Peter Brennan. We live on a wild planet, a wobbly, erupting, ocean-sloshed orb that careens around a giant thermonuclear explosion in the void. Big rocks whiz by overhead, and here on the Earth's surface, whole continents crash together, rip apart, and occasionally turn inside out killing nearly everything. Our planet is fickle. When the unseen tug of celestial bodies points Earth toward a new North Star, for instance, this shift in sunlight can dry up the Sahara or fill it up with hippopotamuses. Our planet is fickle. Our planet is fickle. That was the insight I had when the fires came this past season in 2020. It was really the sense of, oh, dukkha. Dukkha is enormous. Beyond my own personal experience of suffering, of not getting enough sleep or being anxious or discontent with a job or relationship issues, we're talking the first noble truth being dukkha on the largest scale, right? We live on a fickle planet where climate change can lead to extinction right? And that's huge. That's really big. And that enormity is something that we tend to turn away from. I know I tend to turn away from it, certainly. When I was looking it up online about climate change, I was surprised to find that there had been, I don't know, depending on the person writing the article, like five to seven different major climate shifts over human history. 
and the evolution of the planet. And that this climate change that we're experiencing, although driven by us primarily, is still one of many. And I can see clearly, oh, this is our version of this dukkha. This is our version of this dukkha, right? This has happened before. Why? Because the first noble truth, that there is suffering, that we live in an ecosystem that's delicate and suffering occurs in our environment, right? Danger lurks outside. And there is, it's great when there's times when we can be at peace. But the point that I really touched down on was, wow, human existence is delicate. It's delicate and there's dangers out in the ecosystem. And I'm a delicate creature surrounded by potential danger. That to me was hugely profound in relationship to the first noble truth, realizing, oh, right, <laughs> we live on this pale blue dot that's spinning in space and it's very fickle. It's very fickle. There is suffering here in this domain of experience. There just is. It's its nature. Another thing that struck me during 2020 is it struck many of us was the political situation. And towards the end of 2020, as we had our elections, there was blatant discussion of an impending civil war or war itself with either North Korea or things going on in Iran. And there was just this constant backdrop of threat of significant harm to people, right? And conflict, significant conflict. There was a lot of us and them that I felt that was happening. And though I had experienced that in different ways before, compounded by the pandemic and the fires, it really struck me as a huge suffering. My heart just felt heavy all the time those last few months of 2020. And the idea of that infighting and that warring and that conflict just seemed so much larger than myself. You know, it was like, what can I do about it? It seemed like we were careening towards uh, what ended up being the attempted coup, if you want to call it that. And But we, it seemed like we were inevitably heading in that direction. And I felt paralyzed to do anything about it. It just seemed like, oh my gosh, we're going to blow ourselves up, essentially, right? We're going to just, there's going to be all this violence and there's going to be all this chaos. And it was like a, watching a runaway train and not knowing what to do about it. Not that I could have done anything particular about it, but there was a sense of helplessness in response to a greater suffering beyond my personal experience, beyond my day-to-day, -day, something larger than myself. And again, there was a sense of like, oh, this is the first noble truth that cultures have coups, cultures have civil wars, human beings have been warring for a long time. This is our version of it. This is that human experience where a human being is anxious and nervous and fearful about the dissolution or instability of their government, right? This is a, a universal thing that human beings have experienced throughout human history. It's not my singular personal suffering. It is the bigger suffering of the human experience. I wanted to read you another quote. I looked up um, some articles about human conflict because what, what came to my heart and mind in watching everything that happened towards our election in the United States was that it seems like from the very beginning of human beings, we're just in constant conflict of one in one way or another with each other. That we 
have struggled and continue to struggle to cohabitate, right, on this planet. Like, we're working on it and we're trying, but it doesn't always seem to be going very well, right? There's this constant cohabitation that we have to figure out, but on this gigantic scale that can end in harm, serious harm, death, right? And it just seemed like, you know, I just remember being in college and struggling to live with five or six people in this this big apartment, college apartment that we had. And all the, we couldn't figure out the kitchen and the TV and music levels and guests. And it was like, and then when you think of the world, billions of people trying to cohabitate, like it's just, it's just hard for us to get along with each other, right? Even with best intentions. And that's the first noble truth of dukkha, that with the experience of human beings, We've got to deal with other human beings and we don't always find that easy. And that's a huge suffering in human life. So I wanted to read, read this to you. This is uh, from a book by Chris Hedges, which is called What Every Person Should Know About War. And this is just an excerpt, which I found, which I found really moving. War is defined as an active conflict that has claimed more than 1,000 lives. Has the world ever been at peace? Of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for only 268 of them, or just 8% of recorded history. How many people have died in war? At least 108 million people were killed in wars in the 20th century. Estimates for the total number killed in wars throughout all of human history range up to 1 billion. Of the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for just 8% of recorded human history. First noble truth. First noble truth. The enormity and intensity of human conflict its historical significance, and its continuity, right? It's just big. It's hard to even really fathom it. But that's what the Buddha invites us to do, is to begin our spiritual journey by reminding ourselves of the universality of dukkha, of this realm of experience, and to get in touch with it enough to be inspired to practice, but not enough to be bewildered, as he said. If we spent our days really contemplating that paragraph, we might just end up despairing, right? Being not very hopeful. But we see that the, the Eightfold Path is one of hope. It is one of optimism. It's one of compassion and joy and tranquility. But it begins with this acknowledgement that in human experience, there is an incredible amount of suffering that has been universal to the human experience from day one, if you will. Another thing I had found myself reading about at the end of this year was the nature of political coups. I never thought that would have been something. You will find me reading self-help and psychology and Buddhism till the day is long. I picked up several articles on, on political coups, why they happen, and so on. It's hugely helpful to read, actually. Here's what I found out, that since 1950... There has been 475 coups around the globe. 230 were successful. This is not new. And that 
I mean, I'm laughing in this moment, but I'm laughing at my own naivete, right? It's like when I saw what was happening, you know, on the day they counted the votes, you know, my naive heart was like, how could this be happening? It's like, well, it happens all the time, apparently, all over the world. This is the first noble truth that there's suffering. And not only is our planet fickle, but apparently political institutions are also fickle. And they're unstable, they're impermanent, and a source of suffering, and have been for quite some time. And that was a huge, you know, moment for me to really acknowledge that there's just a lot of suffering. And here I was, with the sensitivity from the pandemic, really feeling in my heart the largeness and the universality of the human condition, and really seeing the truth of the first noble truth that the Buddha is talking about, the truthfulness in it, and why he invites us to start by comprehending that and incorporating it into part of our practice to sit down and really acknowledge the depth of human suffering and the need for us to show up in the world as compassionate, loving beings so we can take a stand to anticipate it, prepare for it, and in all our best hopes to prevent it. So that was another thing that happened uh, in 2020. For me, that was a huge, a huge lesson. And the last one, of course, is the pandemic itself. And I'll only say a few things about it because we've talked about the pandemic, you know, uh, here when it was happening. And But in, the, in light of the first noble truth, just to share with you my own personal experience, when it, when the news was first announced in China, Again, I'm telling you, there was so, so much naivete. I just like, I feel like I, I don't know. I didn't realize there was, there was that much growth that needed to happen in me, uh, honestly. But I just, I remember thinking, oh, that's something that happens over there, right? That's something that, ha eh, that's China, you know, whatever. That's not, it's not going to happen here. Now, part of that is obviously not only my sort of spiritual naivete and sort of global naivete, but also my white privilege and being in a dominant place in culture and thinking that, you know, we've got the best of what we have. And so I remember thinking like, well, even if it does come over here to the U.S., we've got a great medical system. It'll be fine. And like, we have a great infrastructure. It's going to be so easy to dispense vaccines and find it. I mean, you know, it's like I had this whole naivete <clears throat> about the safety, security and stability of the country that I live in. Which, again, is a part of my, I'm sharing this particular insight because there was this sort of ignorance of that universal human suffering. Like somehow other countries are unstable. Other places, you know, have difficulties with pandemics and not me. You know, I'm somehow above it, beyond it. And it hit me hard when I had to face the fact that um, I had no idea what I was thinking. Um, there was a gross ignorance around it. And so at the time, and for some previous Dharma talks, you know, I looked up pandemics and was like, well, how often is this happening? And once again, there's lists and lists and lists of global pandemics. It's like, relative to the timeline of human experience, they happen all the time. We haven't had one relatively recently, but it is not a new phenomenon, right? It's not a new thing. This is part of the dukkha of the human experience pandemics, viruses, plagues, it's a fickle world, right? Our environment is fickle, our body is fickle, and these things happen and they wreak havoc. They cause death, loss of life, grief, part of the jam of being a human being. So again, I'm mentioning this just to, to bring us in touch with the enormity of the, 
the major things that happened in 2020, these huge events that caused so much grief, so much loss, so much pain, and looked at through the first noble truth can be acknowledged as a natural part of the human experience. Like this stuff happens, coups happen, pandemics happen, war and conflict and civil wars happen, environmental catastrophes happen. And can we have the courage to meet these experiences in a way where we cannot be driven back to suppression and repression, like I talked about last week, not go back into denial, but really turn our heart and be vulnerable to the power and the transformative capacity of getting in touch with this intense grief that is a part of the human experience. Another aspect of this, of course, was um, the social upheaval around Black Lives Matter and all the education many of us white folks had to go through um, during this time of our ignorance around issues with race right? And dominant culture. And again, social upheaval happens. This is what happens, right? Social change. Suddenly there's this awareness in some part of a culture where they realize or are being told, hey, we're being hurt over here. You got to stop. Like this got to end. We got some pain. There's something going on. Please do something. And this is a natural part of the human experience. I remember, uh, just all those Dharma talks I gave around the time of George Floyd, just the heaviness uh, of the insight of the education that I was getting. It was really tough. Um, but I was so grateful for the opportunity to take that suffering and try and become a better person, to try to take part in the process of helping others rather than being the problem. And we can't do that unless we turn to it, right? We can't, we can't transcend if we don't first turn towards the suffering honor the responsibility and the role we play in our human family. And that's not easy, right? Because as I said earlier, the mind wants to wander away. The mind wants to deny, suppress, repress. Um, I remember seeing online during some of the protests, you know, in Portland, um, of people saying, you know, it's not a good time for this. It's not a good time with the pandemic and the fires and all these things, it's not a good time to, to protest. Um, you know, when is it a good time for peace? When is it a good time for healing? Right? It's always a good time, right? The time when it comes up, we got to lean into it. That's the first noble truth saying, Hey, there's pain here. It's time to look at it. And our natural reaction is not now. Maybe later, maybe some other time we'll look at it. It's not a good time now. And granted, I understand there was a lot going on. But in the universal context, the best time for peace is the time for peace, right? When the pain is there and we're able to see it and it's coming up, that's the first noble truth. That's the challenge that the Buddha is really asking us to engage in is to really look at the suffering when it's there, to anticipate it, prepare and be the change we want to see. We can't do it if we're not looking at the first noble truth as part of our practice. So just bringing this all together, the first noble truth. I've said this before in a previous talk. You know, I definitely relate to this, to all the memes that are going around wanting to put 2020 to bed, which we have, you know, new presidency. We got vaccines on the horizon. There's still a lot of suffering, of course, but certain things have been toned down and I'm grateful for that. But... 
there's so many lessons, you know, let's not lose the lessons. Let's use the first noble truth to reflect on all of the dukkha that we've experienced this past year as we move forward and ask ourselves, where is the insight? Where is the growth? Where can I look and say, oh, wow, I was ignorant here. I was naive here. I was closed off here. Oh, over here, I was a little, you know, suppressing some stuff, not wanting to deal. Look to the experiences because in the Dharma, that's what gets us well. That's what lights the fires of compassion and gratitude and generosity is having the courage to turn towards it. So as much as I acknowledge and honor myself in knowing that I certainly <laughs> want to turn my back on this last year, I also know that if I'm going to continue with spiritual growth, that I cannot do that. I've got to keep it close to my heart. I got to keep the lessons there present and remind myself uh, of these types of dukkha that are in the human condition. And I'm a human in this condition and this kind of suffering is still on the horizon in a different form, in a different way, in a different intensity, but it's there. And I know if I can keep it in my purview, right? If I can not push it aside, but hold it close to my heart in a way that doesn't overwhelm or bewilder, then I have a chance for real awakening. There are many famous philosophers, psychologists, authors who talk about this thin veneer of civilization. Common quotes around this, this catchphrase of saying that what we call civilized, peaceful society is just this thin veil and that behind it is all of this drama and trauma. Um, and I've come to see the first noble truth as an echoing of that sentiment. And I wanted to just read uh, one of the many quotes around this. Uh, this one is attributed to Bill Moyers. I don't know if it's actually Bill Moyers, but I couldn't find any conflicting opinion on that it wasn't. But So I'm going to read this. Um, I've heard the quote before, and, I, and I, I like it. I think it really speaks to the Dharma in a particular way. Uh, Bill Moyer said this, Civilization is but a thin veneer stretched across the passions of the human heart. And civilization doesn't just happen. We have to make it happen. Civilization is but a thin veneer stretched across the passions of the human heart. And civilization doesn't just happen. We have to make it happen. And it really speaks to me with the Dharma. Compassion is possible, but we have to make compassion happen, right? Mindfulness is possible, but we have to make mindfulness happen. We have to cultivate the factors of awakening. We have to cultivate joy and kindness and connectivity. And we do this in the face of the first noble truth, which is this cornucopia of dukkha stretched out across thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years of human history. So the challenge is great, but the possibility for awakening is real, I believe. And in my own experience, I know in the short amount of time relative <laughs> to human suffering, I have experienced an incredible healing through the Dharma in spite of it all. So I would invite us to consider the, the luck and the gratitude we might offer to be able to sit here tonight in spite of 2020 and remind ourselves that not everybody made it through. People died. People got sick from the fires. People died in the fires. People died in the, the political upheaval. They died in the social upheaval. They died from the pandemic. Suffering happened 
and not everybody made it through. And we're really lucky to be able to be here tonight to talk about it, reflect on it. And I would suggest even this in honor of those people who did not make it through and succumb to that suffering that we all experienced, but survived that we honor that by our path to awakening, that we take this opportunity to look at that dukkha and we say, I won't turn away from it. I'm going to hold it close to my heart. I'm going to use it as an opportunity for awakening because we're here tonight. We're alive and we're well enough to practice and be together in Sangha. And we really can create joy for ourselves and take a stand for goodness in the world by practicing together. So just a thought on how we might use the first noble truth and looking back on this past year. I think I'll stop there. I think I'll stop there. The next part of this, which I'll continue next week, um, we'll be exploring how human beings, meaning us, respond in times of suffering, respond in times of crisis. And I'll share with you some more lessons I learned about how being a Dharma practitioner moving through this last year was so helpful for me. And and I think I'm going to go through and kind of remind us of some of the more subtle tools and aspects of the Dharma and and show how the, the difficulties particular to 2020 highlight the fruits and benefits of being a meditator and how meditation itself really, really can help us in times of crisis, in times of overwhelm, and in times of despair. I think that's where I'm sort of going with this reflection. Yeah, I think that's it. My mind wants to say more, but my heart says it's not. I don't need to say anything else. Well, my friends, why don't we end really on time tonight? How about that? I thank you for showing up in Sangha. Thank you so much for coming and being here. I love being with you all. Uh, Thanks for letting me share. I hope there's some wisdom in here or at least some reflection. I hope the framework at least uh, calls to your heart and mind the importance of the first noble truth. And, you know, my biggest wish for us would be uh, that we don't get bewildered, right? We don't get bewildered. That inspires us to practice. My commitment tonight was that this would inspire practice. So be aware of your heart as you feel the bewilderment creeping up and uh, see if we can transform that into some inspiration. Let's close with some meta, why don't we? Let's get back in touch with body. Take a long, slow, deep breath in, and on the exhale, really relax the body and the mind. Let's release all the tension, discontent. Let's inhale some relaxation, some ease and well-being. Coming together to even contemplate the first noble truth is spiritual practice. Is spiritual practice. Give ourselves credit for coming together tonight and honoring the fact of human suffering and be willing to even consider 
even being willing to consider it as a path out of suffering. Let's remind ourselves that we come together with our highest ambition to show up in the world as kind, loving, generous, and compassionate beings. Our aspiration that we can be well so we can be of service to others. Let's take a minute to call to the altar of our hearts something that brings you joy. Something that brings a smile to your face. Something that makes you giggle or laugh. Bring to the altar of your heart some goodness. A person or place, an idea, a pet, a child, any image, any sensation. Let us call some goodness into being. Feel a sense of gratitude for being able to practice together, to be safe and secure enough to come here this evening in wise, loving company of others. And with that sentiment on the heart, on the mind, make a wish for all beings. Let's wish everyone well. May all beings know the true cause of happiness. May all beings know the true cause of happiness. May all beings be free from worry, concern, danger. May all beings be well. May all beings be safe and secure. May all beings take joy in loving and being loved. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you, my friends, for showing up in Sangha. Good to see you. May you be well. May you be safe. Hang in there. Take care of yourselves. Take care of others. Much love to you. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, 
www.wednesdaywakeup.com and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.